So last week, I thought my boldest season prediction was that OU would reach the college football playoff. But now after seeing the Sooners play an actual football game against an opponent of the FBS level, I have perhaps an even more audacious prediction. This OU offense will be better than that 2008 OU offense. And the X factor is Baker Mayfield. Let's start with the offensive line. That 2008 unit had guys like Trent Williams, Phil Lodeholt, and Duke Robinson, all drafted. Williams still in the league. Lodeholt had a good career with the Vikings. And compare that group to the current unit, where Orlando Brown is a surefire first-round pick. Guys like Bobby Evans, NFLDraftScout.com, lists Evans as the ninth-best guard in his future draft class. Drew Samia, Ben Powers, at the very minimum, will get legitimate looks in the NFL. Maybe even Eric Wren. Throw in the coaching of Bill Biedenboe, and, and there's a chance this line is even better than that unit in 2008. So what about the current wide receivers, though? They're so unproven. They don't hold a candle to that 2008 unit. Well, yeah, it does. Joaquin Iglesias led OU in receiving in 2008. The next leading wide receiver, wide receiver, I must emphasize that, was Manny Johnson, followed by a freshman, Ryan Broyles. Are you telling me that Jeff Bidette's not as good as Joaquin Iglesias or Manny Johnson? Are you telling me that CeeDee Lamb can't be just as good or maybe even better than Ryan Broyles was as a freshman? Can Jeff Mead fill in and be that third guy? Maybe it's Marquise Brown. Maybe it's Jordan Smallwood. Point is, both receiving cores aren't that much different. But when you throw in Mark Andrews, who will be doing his best Jermaine Gresham impersonation this year, and the possible emergence of freshman Grant Calcaterra, the current OU pass catchers are every bit as comparable to that 2008 group. Running back, okay, this is a fun one. It was DeMarco Murray, stud in the NFL, and Chris Brown. He was a really solid college running back. Then Moses Madu would kind of fill in here and there back in 2008. The one-two punch of Murray and Brown was electric. Both ran for over 1,000 yards, but maybe 2017 OU has three viable backs instead of just two. Abdul Adams, Marcellius Sutton, both looked really good against UTEP. We're still kind of waiting on Rodney Anderson. Not saying any of these guys will be as effective in the NFL as Murray, but the current depth and talent is intriguing, and you got to throw in Trey Sermon as well. I didn't mention him as uh, during the running back talk. Finally, though, the quarterback, and I alluded to this at the start, this position is the deal breaker. Sam Bradford was an awesome college quarterback. Nobody's going to dispute that. Big arm, supremely accurate, limited mistakes, just incredible. But Baker Mayfield is a better college quarterback. Mayfield's passer rating is higher than Bradford's. Mayfield is just as or even more precise throwing the football than Bradford. And even though Mayfield is short in stature, man, he's got a great arm. But the main reason why Mayfield is better than Bradford is that killer instinct that Mayfield possesses. Sam just never had it. And that's shown throughout his NFL career. I think the one time Sam Bradford had a huge chip on his shoulder was ironically when he injured his shoulder. Bradford worked really hard to rehab and get ready for the NFL draft, and he came out on his pro day looking bigger and stronger than ever. Bradford knew he needed to bust his ass to prove that he was the best quarterback in that draft. His hard work paid off by getting paid as the number one pick. But when it comes to on-the-field fire, Bradford just has never been able to take it to another gear. But Mayfield does. You get the sense that this guy is not okay with coming in second place. He returned this season to win a national championship. 
And I believe his want to win a title is why this current offense will be better than the one Bradford led nine years ago. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Mayfield floats it. Calcaterra touchdown on his first career reception. The true freshman out of Santa Margarita, California. He's six foot three, 230 pounds, and he can really go up and get the football. True freshman tight end, or, or is he a receiver? I guess we'll find out as the season goes on. Grant Calcaterra welcomes us into week two of West of Everest. Calcaterra caught the first touchdown of his career in game one of his career Saturday at Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium. OU routes UTEP 56-7 in the opening game of the 2017 season. Let me welcome in my brother Grant. Grant, how are you doing today? Feeling really well today, Lee. Sunday morning after a college football Saturday it does not get any better than this, except of course maybe for waking up on college football Saturday. How was your Saturday, Lee? It was good. It was spent mostly at Owen Field, was on the field during the game, shooting OU versus UTEP. It's tough because I can't get a real good look at a lot of the concepts and the plays from up top when I'm downstairs. So I had to go back after I got home last night. We're recording this on Sunday, by the way, to rewatch the game from the TV. So I feel like now I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk more about UTEP and break this game down. Well, uh, your Saturday and mine definitely clashed a little bit i believe i sat down on the couch at 7 a.m yesterday morning and did not get up until about quarter after 10 right after uh, that alabama florida state game had all but ended i was on the couch watching football for over 12 hours yesterday lee i'm jealous i really am i really that sounds like a great time hopefully at some point i get to do something like that during this season or probably more likely a future season let's let's jump right in let's jump into the offense it's one of those things where we could easily just say the offense was great. Let's move on. But that's not very fun. Let's talk about the offense. And first off, Grant, I know you want to talk about Baker Mayfield. Lee Baker Mayfield was spectacular yesterday. I think the the thing that stood out the most was just his poise and just how calm he was. He seemed almost bored out there at times. It seemed like um, exactly what you would expect from a, a, from a fifth year senior quarterback making, you know, his whatever consecutive start for uh, for OU's offense. He just looked really in control, and I didn't think after last season I would be more impressed with Baker Mayfield, but it looks like he's gotten better, Lee. Oklahoma started fast. The offense was as crisp as you could possibly be. I mean, with the exception of that one drive where he took that bad sack, he was fan- uh, phenomenal out there, and so was the offense as a unit. And, and I want to go into some of the – ups and downs of Baker Mayfield and there actually was some downs but I'm obviously nitpicking start with the positives Grant that pass to CD Lamb that 19 yard grab that Lamb had kind of it seemed like maybe Mayfield kind of hung him out to dry a smidge but Lamb took a nice shot made the catch that pass there showed me man Mayfield's got a great arm he can throw peas yeah I that actually, that play actually stood out to me too. is um, is one of the most noble ones over the course of the game, mostly because um, of Mayfield, just the dart that he threw to C.D. Lamb, but also C.D. Lamb. Uh, just, I, I think he really showed off his body control and his athleticism on that play. Um, it, it was that play along with another play, but by a true freshman receiver that kind of gave me butterflies. 
as I was watching it, it was that uh, it was the Grant Calcaterra throw, which I thought was a uh, which was one of his handful of perfect throws on the day. Uh, Mayfield, that is. Lee, did you get kind of excited when Grant Calcaterra made that play? Um, that was a really good play. That was against uh, that was going one on one against UTEP's best player. I would say on their entire team, Devin Cockrell, their senior safety, and Calcaterra won that battle easily. Made a really athletic looking catch where he uh, he displayed a lot of body control. Um, I, and I know I'm kind of getting away from Mayfield here just because I'm so excited uh, for <laughs> for Grant Calcaterra. Grant Calcaterra is a he's a stud. I mean, he's gonna be he's gonna be a great compliment for Mark Andrews in this offense. I'm glad you brought that play up because that was my second positive from Mayfield. And here's why. So in that play, Mayfield, he recognized that it was man coverage. I'm not sure how he recognized man because nobody went in motion before the play. They were giving him a cover three look. So either Mayfield knew that from watching a lot of film or he just he just guessed that it was man coverage or something. Something tipped him off. I mean, he's in the he's in that huddle. He's on the on the field. So he saw something and it worked out. And like you said, he gave Calcaterra a chance against UTEP's best player, and Calcaterra made a great catch on a great throw from Mayfield, and I was right down there in the end zone and got a great shot of it, and I was super pumped when he came down with it because I knew, hey, this is going to be a great highlight to show later on. The other positive from Mayfield that I was like, wow, that was I, – I don't know what happened there, and I, I'd love to talk to Mark Andrews and Mayfield, and I'm not sure if they would actually tell me the truth, but the big 40-plus yard catch and run by Mark Andrews on that play, it looked like Andrews had an option route on the play because he cut up out of a drag route into what was a vacated middle of the field. And it makes me wonder if it's a Mayfield and Andrews thing. They're kind of just on the same page or if that was actually the route concept. But the fact that he was able to break into the wide open middle of the field and Mayfield knew he would be there and threw it to a wide open Andrews and he caught it and run it. To me, that was like, man, that is some high level offensive scheming at the college uh, at the college level and, and you don't see that a whole lot I feel like I'm glad you brought that up Lee I um, when you mentioned the option routes uh, one of the biggest thing with option routes is of course just timing and having uh, having that down with your receivers if you're the quarterback um, kind of rhythm offenses like this like the one that Lincoln Riley employs here it, it really does just take a lot of reps um, it takes a lot of experience to get it down. And my main takeaway, actually, other than Baker Mayfield just being uh, a very good like he usually is, was just uh, how little kinks it seemed like they had to work out in the offense today. It seems like they already have that timing down. They they, they just looked, uh, this offense looked a lot, a lot more like they did in the second half of last season um, as compared to the first half, at least you saw last year when they got off to that slow start. It really looked like, uh, Baker Mayfield was just in was in sync with all of his receivers, and I thought that was really impressive. One of the things that I mentioned in what I'd be looking for is receivers running open, and they were. Uh, so I like to, and not only were was it just a handful of receivers, it seemed like all of the receivers were running open, um, and they had the timing plays down. I know Jordan Smallwood had a couple catches that I really liked. Uh, Marquise Brown had a few catches. Jeff Bidette had a few catches, and of course, Mark Andrews if he puts it all together this year. He's going to be an All-American. We said that last week. Um, I think overall, just the offense did a really good job. They they kept ham- they've, they've been hammering at home all fall and all spring, how they just wanted to start quick this year, and they definitely did that. You brought up the one the one drive where they had two consecutive bad plays. I believe there was a, there was a tackle behind the line of scrimmage on Marcellia Sutton, and then that bad sack that Baker took. Uh, that was really the only hiccup 
in the entire game for the offense. Other than that, they did whatever they wanted at all times. Just to close the book on Mayfield, I did have a few mistakes. Again, nitpicking, this, taking the sack was one of them. I won't go into detail because we've taken up a lot of time talking about Mayfield, and really the other things were very nitpicky, so I'll just skip it. And you have talked about the offense kind of as a whole a bit so far, but I want to jump into a little more specific talks on the running backs because that was a huge topic of discussion in camp. The depth chart finally came out, and there wasn't any sort of clarity because of all the ores on the depth chart. So what we saw was an offense that ran for 180 yards. Abdul Adams was the lead guy, as we both expected he would be to start the game. 53 yards, just seven carries. He averaged a, a lot of yards per carry. Marcellius Sutton, 52 yards, and then you had Trey Sermon, who kind of came in later in the game and had 51 yards. So all the running backs, with the exception of Rodney Anderson, had the same yardage total. And for me, what really jumped out, and that probably was the same for you, Abdul Adams and Marcellius Sutton both look like really solid to, to great runners. And they both have nice vision. They can make moves, make people miss, and they even have a little bit of power Although I will say, the caveat, Sutton did get hit in the backfield a couple times, but I think that was more so just on UTEP making some nice plays and getting in and not giving Sutton a chance to get away from him. Yeah, that one, uh, the one play that I mentioned, uh, the tackle in the backfield, that was right before the big sack that, that Mayfield took. That was just a really, uh, that was just a nice call by the by the UTEP defense. Devin Cockrell, the safety we mentioned earlier, just came shooting into the running gap and made a nice play. Um, that there really weren't any busts on the line of scrimmage in terms of missing missing blockers. It seemed like in the run game, they always had a hat on a hat. They were always getting a positive momentum going past the line of scrimmage. Um, I can I can think of that that Sutton play I just mentioned, and also uh, maybe a play on, on the very first drive for Kyler Murray where they were tackled in the backfield. That's it, and I think that's what you wanted. I, th I think you saw an offensive game plan that came out that really emphasized getting a lot of, of rhythm going with Baker Mayfield and his receivers, and you saw the same thing with Kyler Murray later. Um, I, I don't think they're worried about the offensive line and the run game at all, and, and I don't think they really gave anything in this game to be concerned with uh, going forward. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that they're not worried about the offensive line and the run game because when I left the game yesterday after being on the field watching it, I had this thought in my head like, you know what? I feel like OU could have run the ball better and should have ran, ran the ball better against UTEP. But after going back and re-watching it, I realized, you know what? They did run the ball really well. So my initial thoughts were incorrect because I thought maybe there was an issue with running the ball that they didn't run it as well as they could have. But upon further review... Oh, you ran the football very well, even though uh, I suppose I think back to 2008 and I talked about the 2008 offense at the top. It always seemed like that offense was so balanced between uh, rushing yards and passing yards. And in this game on Saturday, there's a lot more passing yards compared to rushing yards. But I think that's the way the game played out. And oh, you ran the football very well. Um, I got to say, though, Grant, Rodney Anderson, I'm still waiting for this guy to flash. I mean, it's the first game, but it's almost like that touchdown he had early on was like a courtesy carry near the goal line after Abdul Adams had got him down there, helped him get him down there just to kind of get this guy some confidence, get him in the end zone. But after that, only four carries in the game total. It really seemed like OU was featuring Adams and Sutton even more than Rodney Anderson. Yeah, Lee, and I, I think when you watched him yesterday, the, 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 the main kind of idea I got from him that he just looked like a guy who hadn't played football in three years, uh, to That's be a honest good point. with you. That's a good um, point. I, he looks the part out there, I believe, you know, in terms of his size and how he matches up. He, he really, I mean, he looks like, he looks like a really big guy out there. Um, I think he's, he flashed a little bit of potential. There was a swing pass that he took 
um, in the first half where he, he did flash some of his athleticism and his speed getting to the edge. Um, other than that, yeah, you could tell he was just getting his feet underneath him. Um, I, I'm glad you brought up the other running backs. I, I agree with you. I think Abdul Adams looked, looked the best out of all of them. Um, if you want to throw out a comparison to there, I thought he looked a lot like uh, Damian Williams when he was completely healthy. I thought there was a lot of similarities there. And on the flip side, I thought Marcelli Sutton looked a whole hell of a lot like Roy Finch uh, from back in the day, uh, maybe a little bigger than Finch. Uh, but other than that, I, I, I think I mentioned earlier on the podcast last week that this running back group would be uh, would look very similar to that 2012 and 2013 group uh, that had Damian Williams and Brennan Clay and Roy Finch running, and, I, and I'm going to stick by that. Just I, I think they're just going to be solid all year long. They also flash it. You know, they can catch the ball out of the backfield too. Um, and also true freshman Trey Sermon didn't look lost at all. He looked good in pass protection. Um, he looked good uh, getting yards after contact. Um, I, I was a little down on him after watching him in the spring game. His his athleticism just didn't really flash for me. But I thought he looked okay in this game. I, I think he's going to be a, a good player for for the Sooners down the line. Maybe not so much this year. I think as the as the season goes on, they'll probably limit his touches. Um, but I, I I'm not as worried about Trey Sermon anymore after watching him in this game. He looks good for his first Division One action. And before moving on from the running backs, I think it's important that we bring up Dimitri Flowers because he's a guy that is like a Swiss army knife of a player out there. And I know that he has gotten a lot of publicity over the last few years because of how good of a teammate he is and how much he can do for this offense. But I just want to point out that he lines up as a tight end. He can play fullback. I mean, there was a play where he lined up as a tight end, catches an out route for 15 yards, first down. And then he gets a carry near the goal line, rewards him, gets a touchdown. I just, I want to just point out how amazing it is to do what Dimitri Flowers does because think about how much of the playbook he has to understand and get. He's got to know multiple positions. He has to know all of the routes, all of the blocking assignments for all of them. So he's just a truly impressive player. And I just wanted to highlight him before we moved on to the wide receivers. Yeah, Dimitri Flowers, you're talking about the guy who's probably the most underrated player on this entire team. Um, I, I, I don't think a lot uh, or, or too much talk is given just about how valuable he can be on offense, especially if he's going to line up at four different positions. Lee, he was he, he played running back, tight end, fullback, and wide receiver yesterday. Um, in an offense like this, um, that is no huddle and that can be versatile, a player like Dimitri Flowers can present a lot of problems for a team just because you can do so much with him. Um, you, you do need to understand that players that are uh, that can line up everywhere. It just means that you can do so much more. And a lot of the times on defense, just knowing where other people are lined up and what position they are lined up, that can cause lots of confusion on the defense. So being able to put Dimitri Flowers pretty much anywhere you want him to, uh, I can't I can't overstate how valuable that can possibly be down the line. As far as the receivers go, couple notes. Jeff Bidette, Looked the part, looked explosive, nice running after the catch a couple plays. To me, it looks like Bidette and Marquise Brown are players that Oklahoma will try to use to stretch the field this year. And then CeeDee Lamb, I thought he looked the part as well. No surprise there. He did have limited looks, did catch that touchdown. We talked about that catch he had earlier from Baker Mayfield. And it was nice to see Jordan Smallwood. I thought he flashed a little bit too, had a few catches. Uh, that was nice as far as the wide receivers go. Do want to mention though, Jeff Mead only one catch in the first quarter, so kind of so much for him being the number one guy in that depth chart. I think both you and I kind of assume that that was just 
uh, a courtesy to Jeff Mead, putting him ahead of Jeff Bidette and Marquise Brown just because he's a, a senior player and been in this program. But we both kind of figured that Jeff Bidette would definitely get a lot more looks as the starting receiver in that slot. And Bidette was out there a lot too. I think Bidette's going to be a major part of the offense going forward. Um, if if we're going to gleam anything though from, I, I guess, from the offense in this first game is that the go-to guy on this offense is definitely going to be Mark Andrews. Um, he looks so good. Uh, he he looks like a different player, and he he looks good his first two years, but sometimes he disappeared. Uh, just the size and the speed that he has is just such is such a, a a nightmare matchup for other teams. I'm really excited to see what he can do against other teams, especially Iowa State next week. I I made the comment last week that that Andrews um, was running wide open in that game last year against Ohio State. Pretty much at all times, it would be nice if you know if if that continues this year um and this time it looks like baker mayfield is really looking at him a lot you've covered mark andrews a lot you've talked a lot about him just one more note on him i wrote in my notes as i was re-watching the game mark andrews looks like gronk that's just what it looked like to him open, open field running just size wise and his pads i thought he looked like gronk out there uh, he's he's not quite as big as gronk but I, I but I, I know what you mean. He he looks big. He 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 just looks a lot bigger than everyone else. Um, and you know when you're trying to win a national championship, you like to have those big NFL bodies that are huge matchup problems. And Mark Andrews is that person. He is going to be the first person, you know, outside of Baker Mayfield that opposing defensive coordinators are going to be circling and saying we have to stop this guy. And that's why the emergence of Grant Calcaterra has really excited me because he almost looks just as big as Andrews out there. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the time you never know what you're going to get with true freshmen. A lot of the time they're not necessarily ready physically to contribute. Grant Calcaterra is ready physically to contribute. He's going to be a guy who's going to get a lot of play this year. I think he, he, he looked the part out there. And I know he only caught a couple balls, uh, but still he, he looks like a guy who's got a lot of ball skills and who is, um, just going to be so important to OU's offense this year. 14 different players catch a pass, a notable player that did not catch a pass, Michael Jones. Uh, he was nowhere to be found really in this game. He did run wide open on the first series when Kyler Murray came into the game in the third quarter and Murray didn't see him. That, him. that could have been a big completion. Other than that, Michael Jones is nowhere to be found. I, I'm not surprised. I, I don't think he's going to be a big part of the offense this season. Uh, if he was going to be a big part of this offense, he would have already shown it up by now, whether it be last year during fall camp. There's some, some disconnect there for the reason why he's not getting many chances in this offense. And speaking of Kyler Murray, 10 of 11, 149 yards, that touchdown pass to Lee Morris. I was a little worried when I saw him come into the game because I thought, oh, no, are they going to go back and forth now from Kyler Murray back to Baker Mayfield and I just had some nightmarish flashbacks to the 2015 season when I was in College Station covering Texas A&M and Kevin someone mismanaged that quarterback situation big time with Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen because he felt like he needed to get both those guys on the field multiple times throughout certain games but then when Murray just continued to be out there for the rest of the half and we realized that Baker Mayfield's day was over I thought okay that was just the plan Baker Mayfield's done. Kyle Murray's going to get a chance to run this offense. And outside of that first series, he looked really crisp and really good. Yeah, he looked really good. I don't have much to say about Kyler Murray. I think he um, he didn't he didn't really run a lot. He did show off his athleticism on some plays, uh, just not a lot of running room. Throwing the ball, he looks great. Um, the touchdown to Lee Morris was a dime that he delivered under pressure too. He got, um, I believe he got he he got roughed 
Actually, there was a flag thrown on that touchdown pass, but he looks good. Um, good timing. It was kind of the same thing with Baker Mayfield in the first team offense, just really in sync with the receivers. And Kyler Murray looked like he was as well. Um, Lee, if you would give an overall grade to the offense, what would it be? Offense gets an A, and it's not an A plus just simply because of that one drive in the first half where Baker Mayfield took that sack. Take that away, and that's an A plus performance. Lee, I will also give it an A, um, although I think you need to pump the brakes with your 2008 uh, prediction after one game. That is, that was, and still is the best offense in the history of major college football, and I, I doubt we'll see an offense better than that anytime soon. I thought I had some fantastic points to back up my thesis. Mm, I thought you were a little crazy there. I think 2008's receivers are head and shoulders better than this year's. Um, like, I mean, Joaquin Iglesias is, would by far be the number one receiver on this team, and Manny Johnson probably would be too. But I don't. I think you're forgetting how good they were. I think you're overestimating how good they were. They were just guys. I mean, they were undersized wide receivers, they were really- like 5'10", 5'11". Good receivers, but... Jeff Bidette, talent-wise, better than both of those guys. No question. I disagree, but we don't have to get into that. Okay. Let's move to the defense. And this is a unit who probably had a lot of Sooners fans kind of going, oh, my gosh, what is happening on that first possession of the game where UTEP pretty much marched right down the field easily, 78 yards, and scored to tie the game at seven apiece. But then after that, just 91 yards the rest of the game. So Oklahoma's defense settled in but back to that opening drive grant just some notes that we need to throw out there the linebackers a big question mark because of Kenneth Murray starting there at middle linebacker and honestly on that first drive the linebackers looked awful against the run Kenneth Murray Emmanuel Beal a couple of guys I saw who just got got uh, who just stuck their heads into piles took themselves out of the play didn't look good at all on that opening drive what are your thoughts from that yeah uh Basically, I think you can throw out the first drive. That was It was just such an outlier over the course of the entire game. Um, and it really was just uh, linebackers being swallowed up and being out of position. Um, that uh, that long run, I mean, it was it, the 30-plus the yarder that set up their touchdown run on the first drive, um, that was more on Emmanuel Beal. He got totally swallowed up by pulling, uh, by pulling guard. Other than that... Um, Outside of the first drive, I thought the linebackers were okay. In fact, I thought Emmanuel Beal was probably the best line. He made the most plays out of all the linebackers. Um, I thought Caleb Kelly was surprisingly invisible, didn't really do much. Um, Kenneth Murray was, I thought he was fine. No major bust that I could really point out. Um, Physically, he stands out as a guy who I think, you know, on the defense, maybe looks like the most physically imposing member of the defense. Um, it, it, interesting game. I, I don't know if there's a lot that we can gather from uh, from, from UTEP, uh, but outside of that first drive, I, I thought the defense was was just was okay to pretty good. Oboe had one sack, just one sack as a team the entire game, but I think you mostly can attribute that to UTEP calling quick plays to get the ball out of their quarterback's hands. It was clear the Miners' coaches did not want to allow Oboe a chance and time to really rush the passer consistently throughout that game. It is worth mentioning, we saw him playing pretty much exclusively as a stand-up defensive end, and you mentioned to me it looked like they're in the 3-4 a lot because of the way the alignment looked, but it was it was a 4-3, but it wasn't the traditional 4-3 with everybody on the line of scrimmage with their hands in the ground. Oboe was standing as a defensive end a lot. 
I don't love it. I don't love it at all because he's a guy, as we all know, and everybody knows, he wants to rush the passer a lot. And because of that, he can take himself out of the play. There's a chance of that happening every single time the ball is snapped. And when that happens, it puts more pressure on everybody else in the defense to make up for basically one guy being out of the play. And so you're playing against 11 against 10. And I'm really concerned about that, especially going into a big game like Ohio State. Yeah. um, So the biggest issue that they had last year, especially defending the run, um, was guys just getting washed out on the edges around the line of scrimmage. And you know what? I I, kind of saw that issue cropping up a little bit in this game. Um, we had mentioned that UTEP's offensive line is actually not a terrible unit. In fact, I would actually say for a mid-major, it's a it's a very good unit. They impressed me. the The All American guard Will Hernandez was as advertised. He he abused the defensive line um, for a majority of the game. Um, did a really good job of of pulling around on some plays and and washing out linebackers. Um, I I have some concerns going into the Ohio State game if if we're going to be completely objective about it. Um, there, there just wasn't enough uh, penetration into the backfield. Now, and not to say that they got gashed on the ground at all. UTEP only had 78 yards rushing um, in the game, which, you know, is is good. They they averaged less than four yards per carry, but that they're just. I just didn't see see a lot flash um, on the defensive line, and 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 I am a little concerned about that, especially if you're going up against a team that's most likely going to have the best offensive line. Uh, slash running game of any team that you're going to see all season in Ohio State coming up. Football is a simple game, really. And the team with the best players and the best scheming are going to win most of the time. And when it comes to Ohio State, they have a lot of excellent players and they have better players if you're going to go by recruiting classes than Oklahoma does. So they're going to see on film Oboe taking himself out of the play sometimes and that defensive line not getting a push against that UTEP offensive line and thinking – the way we're going to beat Oklahoma is just pound the rock and run the football like they did a lot last year in Norman. And they're going to see that on film and they're going to try to exploit it. It's simple as that. And then do you, go ahead. Just going back last year, watching um, the, the tape against Ohio state, Ohio state won that game um, in the trenches when they were on offense and we were on defense. Um, and it mostly was just with a lot of motion. OU's defense was confused and Ohio State was just able to get a hat on a hat and outnumber um, Oklahoma with blockers. And I, I'm, I don't see anything from this game against UTEP uh, that suggests that OU is not going to have a problem with that again. I, I, unless, unless they were just completely vanilla um, against UTEP and they're going to show them a lot of different looks next week, which is a possibility. I'm not dismissing that at all. I, I, I really think Ohio State might have their way with Oklahoma running the football. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, a lot can change from week to week. But just based off of what I've seen, that is certainly a concern of mine. Just early on, before we've looked into the game plan, I got this this take. It's uh, There's a legitimate concern about the Oklahoma defensive line because if they can't control the line of scrimmage against Ohio State or at least make it a stalemate in the trenches – Man, you cannot ask the Oklahoma linebackers and DBs to be the ones that come up and make all the plays in the running game because if that happens, Oklahoma's going to have a long night because that'll open up and expose the DBs to play action passes that'll actually make JT Barrett look like a good a good quarterback. And that'll put guys wide open because of the, the fact that Oklahoma's DBs will have to come up and try to help with the run more if that defensive line does not play well on Saturday. we got to talk about the secondary, Grant. From my perspective... 
and you may have a different look, not enough happened in this game to get a good read on the secondary, which in a way is a good thing because there was no busts. But really, UTEP never tried to stretch the field and never tried to test Oklahoma in this game. So really, I came away from this game not really learning a whole lot about the secondary. No, and I think that's okay. Uh, like like you alluded to earlier, UTEP's coaches were, were clearly concerned about OU's pass rush, mostly from Oboe. Um, anytime they actually did, you know, a three to five step drop and it wasn't just a quick one read, get the ball to your hand thing. Um, that OU's defensive or pass rush was applying pressure to UTEP whenever they dropped back. Um, so, you know, I, they just didn't really have enough time to get, you know, to get downfield and challenge the secondary. Mm-hmm. I didn't really see anybody, uh, running wide open. Um, I believe both of the starting corners gave up um, small little five yard hitches. And that was about it. Um, but you know what? They, they didn't give, they didn't give me any reason to be particularly concerned. Uh, Stephen Parker was, uh, made one really nice play. He was good in, in, in run defense. Like he always is. Will Johnson, I thought was invisible. And I think that's okay for the position that he plays. I just don't want him, you know, to show up generally. Cause that means he's making bad plays. Um, but really, really nothing to be, to, to be gleamed so far from this game. Uh, we'll know a whole hell of a lot more by about 10 o'clock uh, Saturday afternoon. couple concerns. Jordan Parker goes down in the first quarter. That injury did not look good just based on the way he was being helped off the field. He looked like he was in a lot of pain. Couldn't really move that well. I saw him on crutches and in a cast on the sidelines. After the game, Mike Stoops was asked about that. He mentioned that guys like Trey Norwood, who was a surprise member of the two deep at cornerback we saw last week, and Trey Brown – are guys that will likely step in if Parker misses time. So that's something to certainly watch out for. You say there's not a whole lot of concern right now based on that game. I'll throw this out there for you, though, Grant. I am a bit concerned because Ohio State's going to be so much different than UTEP as far as at the wide receiver position. I'm worried that Oklahoma's defensive backs are not going to be ready for the Buckeyes, and they're not going to be ready specifically for that speed that we saw against Indiana and that could lead to big plays over the top because Oklahoma was not really tested at all and this field was not stretched by UTEP. So it'll be really the first game of the year where they're going to be asked to run with some guys, and that that definitely concerns me. I think I think that's fair. Um, based off of what Ohio State did against Indiana, the thing I'm most concerned about um, is those linebackers over the middle. It seemed like um, Ohio State, a lot of their pass, pass plays were just uh, crossing routes, really. They had a couple... Uh, they had a couple plays go for long touchdowns just on crossing routes um, where I could see the linebackers, especially Kenneth Murray getting confused there. Um, I, yep, I, yep. I, I would, I would guess they're probably going to going to going to attack Kenneth Murray quite a bit in that game. Yes. Um, yes. Up at least up the middle on the edges. I, I'm sure they'll, they'll probably attack Oboe and, and Emmanuel Beal just like they did last year. Um, we, we'll, we'll get more into to Ohio state um, later this week, but I, I, you know what? UTEP only had about what 160 yards of total offense, so I know we're, we're we're picking a lot of nits here. It was it was probably their best you know early season defensive performance in a while, um, but I I think a lot of it had to do with uh, just UTEP not being all that dynamic at the skill positions and at quarterback. Um, you know we'll see. They could they could totally come out against Ohio State and surprise us, but from what I saw yesterday, I just didn't really see anything that really jumped out at me. Um, other than, uh, Kenneth Murray physically, just what he looks like. He looks like a star out there, uh, a, a potential star out there eventually. 
Um, and also I thought, I thought Marquise Overton was, was pretty good. I thought he was the best defensive tackle yesterday. Um, Gallimore didn't really, didn't really flash, uh, the way that I was hoping he would. Um, and other than that, I do want to throw, uh, just about, uh, just another thing out there. It's, it's very rare that you see backups come in and it not be a total disaster, especially with Oklahoma. It seems like that's been an issue in the past. So it was nice to see the second team defense come in and pitch a shutout as well. Quickly, Grant, give me a grade for the defense. I'm going to give him a B minus. I'm going to give him a B plus because of the context of that game. I thought the defense played well. Not sure, though, if this performance would be a B plus type performance against Ohio State. Well, I take that back. If they play that way and hold Ohio State down, it's obviously an A plus performance. But I think you know what I mean, though, based on the way they play. Uh, I don't know, Lee. I, I feel like if they hold Ohio State to 170 yards and seven points, uh, We'll be giving well, them. Okay, we'll, yeah. We'll be, we'll be giving them an A, and then about as many pluses as you possibly can. Um, <laughs> but yeah. but but you know, like we said, UTEP UTEP um, had a very vanilla game plan. Also, um, they just they just wanted to run the ball right at them, get the ball out of their hands as fast as humanly possible. They did not have the athletes to exploit uh, to exploit Oklahoma's weaknesses. Ohio State does. Um, I just hope they do a lot of a lot of work in the film room this upcoming week because I I have a feeling next Saturday might be a long night defensively. All right, we're going to wrap this podcast up quickly with a with some national talk because there's a lot of games on Saturday and and I want to get just your quick thoughts. Let's start with around here around Oklahoma and really in the national stage. Maryland beat Texas and you came into this weekend thinking, "Okay, I'm just interested interested to see what happens in this game." Didn't really have a whole lot of thoughts. My thoughts really on Texas first off, do you think Tom Herman's going to do away with this pregame kiss stuff because he hates his players? I am actually not entirely sure what you're talking about. Does he kiss his players before the game? You haven't heard that story? No, I haven't. Okay, well, we don't have time to go into that right now. Yeah, he kisses his players before games. Okay, it's, well, I, it's very bizarre. There doesn't need to be any sort of like major analysis of it. That's super weird. That's all I have to say about it. I mean, it was a big story last year when Houston was really good. But anyways, I think he needs to stop that because he probably just hates his guys uh, because they're not very good. And you know what? I, I think there's been lots of lots of things said about what's been wrong with Texas lately, whether or not. Um, it's a coaching thing, whether or not it's an administrative thing, whether or not it's a player thing. Um, I I think Tom Herbin's a good coach. I think Charlie Strong's a good coach. These are guys who have track records at other, um, you know, f- fairly large mid- mid-major programs. Um, I, I, I think if you're going to overreact from week one uh, with Texas losing to Maryland, it's got to be that this is – the issues at Texas right now are um, – just they go a lot farther than who is the head coach of the team. I believe um, there's there's clearly some issues in in the administrative state of the program, and also just with the players. Um, the they must have a lot of guys who aren't living up to their recruiting rankings because that defense is awful. It was awful last year. It looks like it's awful again. Um, that's a defense that if Oklahoma plays next week is going to be able to score whenever they want. So Texas has a lot of work to do. Um, they they just. They just looked bad. Uh, they they were they were very fortunate to only lose that game by ten. Baylor loses to an FCS team, so the Bears aren't good this year. Yeah, I think that's the only thing that you can you know you can take from that game. Uh, Liberty went six and five last year at the FCS level. Um, that's you know they're they're not a team that should be going into Waco and beating Baylor. Um, and you know everyone knows the story about Baylor. I. I, 
I'm the type of person I'm not going to wish any ill will on Matt Rule and his new coaching staff. Looks like every they cleaned house there. Everyone is different. Um, he seems like a decent man and a good coach. But I may it it after that. I mean, you're losing a Liberty. Baylor might uh, they, they they might uh, retake their uh, their claim as just the worst program in the league. Like kind of how it has been throughout the history of the Big Twelve. I I don't know. That's just I I think a lot of people uh, don't give enough. You know, don't give enough credence to to everything they've gone to and how much turnover they've had. And Baylor might really be hurting for a long time. Biggest game of the weekend: Alabama and Florida State. So we both figured Alabama would win that game. I believe even predicted that Bama would win by a couple touchdowns, maybe even three. That's what happened. Quick takeaways from that game on my end: FSU's Auden Tate had two only had two catches. One was for a touchdown. To me, he looked like a clone of Kelvin Benjamin, and it makes you wonder why he wasn't able to get more looks later in the game because both those catches came early on in the game but then there's Alabama once again they're already scoring off special teams and or defense forcing turnovers ho-hum Alabama this team is so boring because they're so good and they were just much better than Florida State on Saturday yeah uh, it was a really even first half I thought Um, Florida State's defense is really good Uh, you saw that last night Alabama really didn't do much of anything on offense Um, Jalen Hurts uh, again is is, is struggling to throw a forward pass. He only had 98 yards passing last night um, against what a lot of people think is the best secondary in the country, uh, Florida State. But I, I figured maybe he'd have a little more success than that. Um, I, Alabama, just just the, the drum just beats on with them. Their defense is dynamic and is probably the best in the country again. Um, they had a bunch of guys um, who played who were in a backup role last season, you know, but they come on and they start this year and they, I mean, they're so athletic on defense. I, I, I think a lot of people are really going to struggle to move the ball on them, um, especially if you don't have a lot of dynamic or uh, dynamic threats on on offense. And also, Florida State's offensive line really struggled to block uh, Alabama. DeAndre Francois ended up getting hurt. He had a leg injury. He left the game. Uh, his status is kind of up in the air. So that you know, Florida State their their season could be derailed right from the start and. I think the number one takeaway should be just don't schedule Alabama in the in the non-conference. I don't know what these teams are doing. That's just, it. Just wasn't smart, and the the game the game pretty much went exactly how I expected it to. Florida State was competitive early, and then Alabama, um, the, their defensive line and their defense just just takes over a Florida State team that that wasn't very good up front last year, and looks like they they might not be great up front again this year. Michigan beats Florida. Grant, we got an early look at the NFL Thursday night color rush. So that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, Wilton Spate. Uh, Wilton Spate's awful. Michigan's quarterback is awful. Uh, particularly his second interception he threw. He just stared down the wide receiver. Still had the guy wide open, even though he stared him down. But he overthrew it, and it was returned for a touchdown. Easy, easy throw. But on the flip side, Florida's offense is awful. I get it. They had a lot of people out. But Jim McElwain, he's supposed to be an offensive guy, and he's not been able to figure out offense at Florida. And they are able to recruit a ton of talent. I think it's bizarre that Florida's defense has been really solid when they have a coach that's supposed to be really good at offense. Then on the flip side, you have Jim Harbaugh, who cannot figure out how to develop a quarterback, whether it be at the NFL level and now at the college level. And yet he was a quarterback in the NFL. But his defense is at Michigan – and then at San Francisco, when he was with the Niners, have been really good. It's just it's a really bizarre dynamic between those two those two coaches. Uh, not a whole lot, really, other than that. I took from this game. Michigan should have won the game because of all the people out for Florida, and the Wolverines did. Uh, yeah, I. 
it's hard to, I think, take a, a lot away from that. Florida had over 10 guys suspended. Um, over half of them were starters. Um, I, I think I think the biggest takeaway from the game is that Jim McElwain just has not gotten it done in his time at Florida on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, this is year three now under Jim McElwain. He should have his system implemented. He should have his players in there, and they still can't move the ball. This was a Michigan team that was replacing uh, 10 starters on the defensive side of the ball, and I know they were really good on defense last year, and they had a lot of people who contributed who came back and were playing uh, and starting in that game yesterday. But if you're Florida, you still uh, – you you have to have more than 200 yards of offense against a, against a team that's breaking in 10 new defensive starters. That's com- that you, you just can't excuse that. Um, this is a season where, where Jim McElwain, if he can't field a decent offense, I, I think Florida Florida's administration probably needs to be thinking about uh, get-out options with Jim McElwain if he can't field you know an offense that is going to be able to move the ball consistently. I agree on that one. Uh, USC, a surprising struggle against Western Michigan, but still wins 49-31. Really, though, that Western Michigan team, yeah, they lost Corey Davis. They lost their quarterback. But after that, a lot of the same players, of course, they did lose their head coach and P.J. Fleck. So maybe Western Michigan's actually going to be good again this year. They went 13-1 last season. But at the same time, though, you see USC playing a tie game with – Western Michigan into the fourth quarter at home at USC you think oh man I thought this team was supposed to be awesome this year and be a legitimate playoff contender and Sam Darnold you've heard all this talk I've heard talk about how oh Sam Darnold actually doesn't want to come out of the draft this year he actually wants to stay in school for another season after watching parts of this game that makes sense because he didn't really flash a whole lot through a couple picks, no touchdowns. He let the running game really, really, uh, really help him out in this game. And USC was able to run the football well against Western Michigan. But I think some cause for concern for the Trojans. Lee, we talked earlier in this podcast about just how in sync Baker Mayfield looked with all of his receivers. Um, he didn't have a lot of guys who, who returned with with a lot of catches um, from last season. And the same can be said for, for Sam Darnold and then just compare the two guys. Baker Mayfield has, you know, guys he maybe doesn't have uh, much chemistry with, but he comes out firing right away. Sam Darnold looking like maybe he doesn't have as much chemistry with his with his new receivers. Um, the offensive line uh, struggled to block Western Mission at the beginning of the game. This was a game that wasn't particularly fluke, fluky. I, I watched a lot of this game. Western Michigan was outplaying USC, you know, for the first two and a half or three quarters of this game. Uh, USC did pull away and have a dominant fourth quarter, but that's basically it. Um I, I said it um, last week on the podcast. USC was one of my most overrated teams in the country. Um, I, I, I looked pretty smart as this game was going on. I, I kind of expected Sam Darnold to be the one you know who did live up to the hype and a guy who was really good. He was not impressive yesterday, Lee. Um, he just looked very fidgety in the pocket, uh, made a lot of bad decisions. He did throw a couple picks. Um, I, I, I think... Um, before the season started, um, that's that that week two game against Stanford really stood out to me about a game that I thought was was kind of an obvious pick for an upset. It seems even more obvious now. Western Michigan ran for about 250 yards on USC. Uh, just just imagine what Stanford's going to do next week ne- next week into them. And the last game that you wanted to talk about, LSU dominating, shutting out BYU. I'll be honest, I didn't get a chance to watch any of this game. Not surprised by the result. I figured LSU's defense would be really good. It always is. 
Honestly, though, I kind of figured the Tigers would score some more points with Matt Canada at offensive coordinator, but still 27 to nothing looks really good to start the season against uh, a real team or supposedly a real team like BYU. What did you see out of that game? I uh, don't have a ton to say about this other than just what LSU did defensively. They, they lost some difference makers last year on that side of the ball to the draft. Uh, BYU didn't even have 100 yards of offense and they didn't even cross midfield. Um, and what's noteworthy from that is that LSU started four freshmen on defense, four true freshmen on defense, um, and they held BYU to less than 100 yards, didn't even get past half field. Uh, LSU, their offense um, was was not particularly impressive. Darius Geis, their star running back, looked injured, uh, which he was. Um, I I don't think we know we know we know a ton about LSU after this game other than they look exactly like LSU kind of always does. Limited on offense, dynamic and scary on defense. Uh look to them just to be a pretty a pretty normal LSU team this year. Well, great first weekend of college football so far, mainly because it's back and we all have something awesome to take in on Saturdays again. Biggest game of the week next week, OU and Ohio State will be back here on Friday with a full primer for that huge matchup in Columbus. So until then, enjoy your week. Get pumped up for Saturday. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.